0: You know how fast you're going. What? How fast you going? I don't know. Ten. Eight. Be advised, this is an explicit podcast. If you're easily offended, get your panties twisted to not leave now. Run to your safe space. Get you a little cloth for your tears. All the opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the host and his guest and do not reflect the opinions of any local or government agency. Welcome to MotorCop Chronicles podcast. I'm your host, Iceman. Uh, let's get the housekeeping out the way. Go like and subscribe. Write five-star review. We'll shout it out also uh i almost forgot because i'm getting old uh we're gonna get the patreon people uh shout it out, out the way real quick because uh we do have a a guest a special guest today we'll be introducing shortly and uh kind of excited about it i don't have many people that actually want to be guests of me because y'all know i'm a little crazy but let's get the patreon people out the way uh of course we got, uh, the crew members are right on all shows. We got Christopher DeMars. We thank you for being a crew member. We got Z Palmer. We got Roy Spaulding. Not Roy P. Roy Spaulding. Our friend from down under, JoJo. We got Kaylee Norris, Natasha A. And of course, Melissa. We appreciate y'all and uh, your continued support. If you like smoking cigars, want a good cigar, go to MyPatriotCigar.com, Mypatriotscar.com. Cigar.com, uh United States, you know, owned company. An American owns it. Age three years, uh hand rolled. Uh if you use promo code MotorCop15, Motorcop 15 you'll get 15% off your order. And also if you if anything over 100 dollars you get free shipping. Go check out mypatriotcigar.com to get those uh delicious cigars. You know, it tastes good with some whiskey. Go check out the Etsy store, get you some Motor Cop merch, help support the show. Uh join the Motor Cop Clubhouse Facebook private group. It's free. Just answer three simple questions and I'll let you in. Other than that, we're gonna jump right into uh the thing. we've got like I said, a special guest. He's an Arthur he's a retired New York City cop, which I'm very interested in hearing these stories. I haven't spoke to a New York City cop yet. So uh it floor is yours, sir.
1: Well, Iceman, thank you so much for having me on your show. My name is Vic Ferrari, born and raised in New York City in the Bronx. Um, I'm a 20 year retired member of the New York City Police Department. I worked in various units, everything from DUI to I worked in Manhattan North Narcotics Division during the crack epidemic. And my last 10 years, I was a detective in the NYPD's auto crime division. So anything with chop shops, garden variety, car thieves, exporting stolen vehicles out of the country, identity theft, chop shops, the mafia, did it all. Um, after a 20 year career, I retired, I got, write, got into writing. I've written six books, four of which are short stories about my NYPD career of the funny and ridiculous things that happened behind the scenes with the New York City Police Department.
0: And that's what we like, funny and ridiculous and just stupid people. Cause you know, stupid people keep us employed, right? <laughs>
1: absolutely
0: If it wasn't for stupid people we wouldn't have a job <laughs> or i wouldn't have a job you retired i got three years left i'll have my well, hard 30 <laughs> i have my hard 30 for the other listeners that does that i was out working uh the football game today doing them escorts like i do to make that extra money and uh my motorbike broke down on me so i got home early <laughs> it's like uh my throttle can went out on it uh you gotta love electronics nowadays even motorcycles electronics and uh Probably got a wire broke somewhere, and my bike would start but wouldn't go nowhere. <laughs> uh, just take it from however you want to. I think it's interesting. I mean, like I said, I'm I work for sheriff's office in Louisiana. Nowhere, nothing in Louisiana even compares close to being the scale that New York City is. I mean, that's like you know, especially when I was a young cop, I'm like, man, New York cops and Chicago, them big city cops, you know, and uh. As I got older, it's like, well, sometimes y'all actually, I believe, big city cops had it better than us country cops because y'all had more help than we had, <laughs> but y'all had so much opportunity, so many different divisions out there that we didn't have.
1: Okay, so I'll give you a little bit of a background in the New York City Police Department. At any given time, there's between thirty and 40,000 members. So that that it's it's tremendous. In New York City, you have five boroughs, and it's spread out all over the place. You have seventy seven police stations or precincts. Every precinct has anywhere from a smaller precinct like out in Staten Island probably has about a hundred cops. Whereas you talk of the cops in Midtown Manhattan, Midtown North, Midtown South, they probably have anywhere between three and five hundred cops per precinct.
0: That's per shift. And,
1: well, no, no, not per shift, but per precinct. Oh, okay. You have three shifts, and then then, and then, and with the New York City Police Department, you have specialized units that don't work out of a precinct, like the auto crime division I worked in for my last 10 years. The auto crime division had 120 detectives strictly doing auto theft. You have vice. You have homicide. I mean, there's just so many different specialized units, and like you said, there's so much more opportunity. Not only is there more opportunity, but... Say you're working in a precinct and you're not getting along with the commanding officer or your boss. You can go somewhere else. Or if you fuck up, you get the opportunity down the road to make amends. Whereas in a small department, you got a sheriff or, you know, a, a 50-man police department. You fuck up. You're basically fucked until that guy retires or, you know, there's nowhere to hide.
0: No, no. There's the department I'm in now. It's smaller uh, than the one I came from. I'm, uh, we're probably about two two hundred or so complete. That that's the whole department. That's secretaries and all. The one I came from probably about four or five hundred. Uh, same uh, same size. Well, y'all call them counties. The same size uh parish land wise. But I went from like a hundred and fifty thousand population to like a thirty three thousand population. So, but uh, in what New York? I was millions of. I don't know how I many. It's a whole lot of people. Nine
1: million people. Nine million people.
0: Wow, and it's just like, but it's like I said. Uh, I see on TV and stuff. I know TV's not real. Trust me, people. But it's like when, like when you in uniform stuff like that. The, y'all guys don't wear y'all's uniforms home. Y'all have like locker rooms and and stuff like that. And
1: yeah, and then yeah. So it's funny, cops. Yeah, we have in the in the basements of every NYPD precinct, you have a locker room. And it's, you know, the the lockers are from like the 50s. I mean, they're old. They don't replace those fucking things. And it's funny. In my time, if you if you walked into the precinct in uniform, everybody's thinking you're wearing a wire. Yeah, it's the funniest thing. Like, if a cop keeps coming into the precinct in uniform, like, yeah, it happens sometimes, like, dry clean, But if there's a guy that's constantly coming into the station house, the old timers used to tell us, that motherfucker's wearing a white.
0: Oh, because he's, he don't want to change in front of people.
1: He doesn't want to oh, change I in front of you. the cops. I'll tell you, it, it's funny because I go to this place that um does, um, it's like a, it's like a, what would you call it like a uh, a spa where they do cryotherapy where they you know you get like cold treatment and after i get my cold treatment i change in like 10 seconds and one of the girls said to me she goes how do you change your clothes so fast and i says when you're a cop and you're running late you get into the precinct you better get your ass up there for roll call and you know when i first got hired we were we were wearing the old sam brown gun belts to keep a 38s so we didn't have semi-automatic for my first 10 years you were not using a so like, swivel
0: holster were you
1: yeah they had the swivel like, on it you're, yeah you're like an old gunslinger
0: <clears throat> yeah the from the people listening and uh civilians that don't know what that is it's uh like he said it's almost like a old gunslinger belt uh, i never wore one but we had some older guys when i first started uh they still had it, and it's basically your holster hangs down farther on your hip, but it's on a swivel on your belt. So when you walk and stuff, it just kind of swung back and forth and everything. It great. Yeah. yeah,
1: and the reason it's a swivel holster is because when you sit in a radio car, the old 38s or three fifty sevens that would be mounted to your hip, the damn gun would stab you in the hip. So with the swivel holster, when you sit down, you just you can fold that holster that the gun is sitting in your lap.
0: Well, my, Actually, they still stab us in the hips now. They just... I have a permanent, I, I think it's permanent. Now, my, my wife looked at the thing. She says, because I actually have, keep, I'm right-handed. I keep a bruise, actually, on my, of course, I'm a bigger guy. I'm not skinny like I used to be uh, as I'm getting older. But I keep a bruise on the right side, on the same spot all the time, where when I'm when I am a, in the unit and stuff, not on the bike and stuff, and the gun hits me there, I actually keep a bruise on my hip. Uh, oh, after me.
1: I retired, I had a mark on my hip for probably about four or five years until it went away. People don't realize that. And with those fucking belt keepers, I hate those things. <laughs> you know, it's um yeah, it's it's funny. When I when we went to the semi-automatics was about the time I was going into plain clothes, but even in the NYPD, when you're in your plain clothes, you're really not because they will use you for anything. Like, I mean, if my I did probably of my twenty years with the NYPD, fifteen of which were in plain clothes, but I worked down at Times Square in uniform where they dropped that ball like seventeen times and the Thanksgiving Day Parade and the St. Patrick's Day Parade. And let's not forget all the riots that we have in yeah. you know, New York City Police Department work the Crown Heights riot, the Washington Heights riots. I mean so they throw you in uniform. 9-11, I got thrown in uniform. I was down there for the first week. So, you know, it's um, even if you're in plain clothes detail, they're going to throw you in uniform when they need you.
0: Wow. Well, so I work for a small department. Nothing, like I said, a small department now. And, uh, I'm a, there's only three of us on motors in the department I come from. When I was a sergeant over motors, there was 10 of us. But uh, we get uh and since we're a small department, there's there's days I get called. And I'll be working in school zone in the morning, and uh, I'll get a call from the captain. Hey, buddy, or text. I uh, need you to help out of court. I'm upstairs bailiffing. or I'm up at the front door doing security. I have to, I'm about to have to learn how to use x-ray machines and stuff like that because I got all this new, like, body scan equipment and shit I'm going to have to. But it's like, you know, hey, we need you to go fill. <laughs> One day they said, they said something. I was like, well, I ain't got time to ride a motorcycle. I'm always doing other shit. But... It's, you know, I work at the pleasure of the sheriff. And I got to say, the man I do work for is is I've worked for four different sheriffs total in my career. And uh, this man, is uh, he actually cares about his employees. I'm not just a a number to him. But uh, like I said, I, I've always been intrigued. I've never been to New York and uh, nothing against the city you were maybe born and worked in. But especially now, I have no desire to go to it. <laughs> not now, well, yeah. anyway. <laughs>
1: Well, crime in New York, it's like the seasons, right? So I got hired in 1987 when I was 21 years old, and New York was a dump. Um, My first mayor, Ed Koch, he was a good mayor. He supported the police, but he was soft on crime. And then after him, we got the late, great David Dinkins, who ignored crime. And New York (laughs) slid into the abyss. And New Yorkers tend to vote Democratic, but desperate times called for desperate measures. So Rudy Giuliani, who basically decimated the mob with several high profile cases when he was a federal prosecutor for the Southern District, he ran for mayor and surprisingly won. And the first thing Rudy did with us was he was like, go out and get him, make arrests. Like early in my NYPD career, if you walked into the station house with a guy with a couple of vials of crack, the desk officer would say, what are you doing? Kick that guy in the ass and give him a summons or you're taking a radio car off patrol? We're holding 30 calls. And you're locking this guy up for a suspended driver's license or a couple of decks of heroin or a couple of bottles of crack. When Giuliani came in, he paid for the overtime. He says, get him. And basically, what they learned was a lot of these quality of life crimes a guy taking a piss in a hallway, you grab him, instead of kicking him in the ass, you, you run him through the system. And once his fingerprints come back, you find out that guy's wanted for a burglary. The guy that's the guy that's selling crack on the street that you, you normally would have just driven past. He's wanted for a homicide. So we were pulling people and putting them through the system and their fingerprints were hitting on things. And guess what? It cleaned up New York city. And I mean, New York New York state is one of the largest prison populations and prison systems. There's more than enough room up there and New York prospered, you know, tourism came back, rents went up, jobs went up, pay went up. And, uh, you know, what wound up happening is the mayor's changed, you got de Blasio in there, and he just basically, you know, with this bail reform <clears throat> nonsense and everything else, and, yeah. you know, everything's politically correct, and, you know, now New York is, you know, from what I see on television, I mean, New Turned York is...
0: Into been- a shithole. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's sad, sad. yeah. It, it, it is say. sad, because, I mean, you know, when people think about, I'm sure foreigners think about, you know, the United States, they think about New York, they think about uh, like Los Angeles and places like that in California, they ain't gonna think po' dunk place like me. But like I said, where I work at, still like right now, I go out and work. Uh, I work overtime writing tickets. I'm a traffic cop, and uh, I'll tell you exactly where it's at later. You might have, I'm pretty sure you've heard of it, but uh, if I get in the shit out there and I'm by myself, on a good day, on a good day, if I call for backup, backup on a good day is about 15 minutes away. I'm that far by, and so I tell everybody I'm like, I understand, because I've had, and I'm not dissing on them, I've heard some uh, other podcasts I've listened to, they were some big city cops, or you you know, bigger city cops, and they were like dissing on us, like country cops, and I stopped listening to them because of it, but I'm thinking, you know what, I might be a country cop, but you got... The, the big city cops might have a lot more crime, but when we get in the shit, we got to her off shit by ourselves most of the time. We don't yeah. have, and and when we're investigating stuff, you know, we have detectives, but you know, we don't have all these different divisions. We we are all those different divisions. <laughs> so,
1: oh yeah, in New York, if you get on that radio and you call a ten thirteen and or a ten eighty five, the cavalry is coming. And I mean, you'll hear it on the radio. Someone will get on their central. Slow it down. I mean, I've seen with police shootings where cops are involved in shootings, hundreds. I'm not ta- and I'm not exaggerating. This cops, if a cop's getting involved in a shooting in the Bronx, and you got 12 precincts, and that shooting's going on, or you know, it's it's an ongoing thing. Everybody drops what they're doing. I've seen guys running out of the station house. you know, guys unlimited. You know what I mean? That it's supposed to be answering the phones, jumping in their personal car. You know what I mean? I've seen hundreds of cops in New York. It's like, that's the one good thing about the NYPD, man. When you get on that radio and call for help, the fucking cavalry is coming. And and you're right, because after I retired from the NYPD, I became a cop in a small town in Florida. And I'm working at midnight. And I'm saying to myself, if I call for help, first of all, I'm not even really sure where I am. (laughs) Second of all, there's only three cars out here tonight, and I work in a fairly large area. Like, just as you said, man, yeah. it's me and whoever I'm fucking with, mano imano. mano, because, you know, I, you gotta think, it's almost like a game of chess, working for a smaller police department. Like, is this worth it? And if I do this, and this happens, so, no, I, I totally respect what you're talking about.
0: Yeah, I was like, I've been... I got some stories I'm going to tell after I retire while <laughs> I'm working. It wasn't illegal, but, it, I mean, you know, stuff gets nasty, especially, you uh, know, back in the 90s and stuff. Like, I actually, you bringing up crack was uh, crazy for me because uh, I was talking to another older cop, and uh, me and him were talking about, you know, drugs and stuff. Now, we were talking about how big crack was. And, you know, you really don't see much. Every now and then you'll run across a little bit of crack here and there, but it's not like it was before. When I mean, when I was out there, because actually when I first started full time, they uh nobody nobody knew me. I was a new guy, so they stuck me with them, some some narco guys, and they had me out buying buying crack. I was buying crack, and I'm gonna tell you what. See, I wasn't. I found out quick that I was not a narcotics guy because I hated every single minute of that and couldn't wait to get out of there. <laughs> I did not like buying dope.
1: Yeah, I I worked. I worked in the narcotics division for 14 months and I thought it was going to be the greatest thing in the world. And I absolutely hated it. So I'll give you an example of like the NYPD. It's a numbers game and it's constant buy and bust operations. So when I was in the Manhattan North narcotics division and that only covered half of Manhattan, 59th Street is Manhattan South from 59th Street to the Bronx is Manhattan North. And there was a couple hundred detectives where I worked, And A buy-and-bust operation works like this. So we're going to do a buy-and-bust operation, just street-level stuff. We're going to take 10 guys out. It's like a pickup football game. So my team and then my sergeant's going to grab another couple of guys, right? So let's say, for our good sake, me and you, we're getting on. That means you and I are taking the arrest for today. Sergeant's going to hand us a $100 bill, and he's going to say, go break it. We're going to go to a deli. We're going to break the $100 bill to 20s, 5s, 10s, and singles. And then we're going to photocopy all the money. We're going to photocopy the serial number. That's called pre-recorded buy money. Then we're going to give it to two or three undercovers. And you have a set, like a movie set, it's a piece of paper. And it's got each location you're going to. Because in New York, there's just so many sets selling drugs. You don't want to send your undercover to a heroin spot asking for crack and he's going to get the shit kicked out of him. So there's sets. So, the under- so you'll set up two or three cars with two or three guys a couple of blocks away. The undercovers step out. They're wearing what's called a Kel. It's a, it's a microphone that that plays back into the car with the sergeant and the two detectives that's going to take the arrest. He steps out or they step out. Sometimes it's two, three undercovers. The, the, you're going to have a main guy that's going to make the buy, and then you have ghosts. Ghosts are other undercovers that kind of sit back and watch the main guy that's going to buy. He walks up to a set. He gets done. He buys a couple of vials of crack or a couple of decks of heroin. He walks off. You don't want to roll in immediately and burn the undercover. And in New York, it's just so busy. Ten fucking people could go by there after he gets hit. And, um, then the sergeant's going to say, OK, positive buy. We're looking for two pieces, female Hispanic, male Hispanic. They're both wearing gray and red. Move in. That's when, that's when the fun begins. So now all the cars converge on that corner. And in New York, on one set, you could have four guys selling drugs. So you're looking for the two, the male Hispanic and the female Hispanic, gray and red. And this, some motherfucker sees you roll up, he throws like, he'll throw heroin up in the air, he takes off, now you're grabbing that guy. It was like the fucking rodeo when we would pull up. <laughs> Once you get your couple of bodies, you call for the P van. The P van is like, we used to rent vans from the airport or Home Depot. A van would pull up, you take your handcuffed people, you put them in the van, guess what? Now you're rolling to the next set. And you did that until you filled that van up with 10, 15 people. Now, sometimes that would take an hour. Sometimes it would take all day. But early on, it would take like an hour. You'd have that fucking P-van filled up with perps. Then you'd go to the precinct. The arresting officers would go upstairs with the sergeant and the undercovers. And every time you locked somebody up, you had an envelope with their name on it, where you recovered the money from, where you recovered the drugs from. You're sorting that out. The field team's downstairs. They're strip-searching the prisoners they're fingerprinting and then they're pulling them out one by one, asking if they want to cooperate. And it's like an assembly line. It's the same fucking thing every day. And you're doing buy and bust several times a week, which at first is exciting, but it just burns you out. Mm-hmm. And then then you go to court because in New York, selling drugs to an undercover is a felony. So first offense is first offense doing that is probation. Second offense is a year and a half to three. So you go a grand jury every week testifying i mean you just never catch a break and you're always getting sick because these motherfuckers that you're arresting a lot of them are homeless people they're street people you know it's not drug ping pins you're locking up you're locking up a heroin addict that's selling 10 decks to keep one for himself or a crackhead who's selling five vials to keep one for himself so they're always sick they're coughing you know you're always getting a cold you're always afraid you're strip searching these guys you don't want to get stuck with a needle and get AIDS or hepatitis C. Yep. <laughs> so you're always, you're always aware of that. So I, I went back to patrol before I went, before I got back into, into the detective bureau.
0: I had, uh, I actually got offered to be a detective. Uh, and, uh, one point, a couple times in my career. And, uh, I, I was a motor cop and, uh, of course, you know, I watched chips as a kid and, i didn't grow up i always wanted to be a motor cop I didn't, that's not what i went to college for uh i went to college to be a i went to mortuary science I actually went to college to be a mortician and ended up being a cop good figure but uh if y'all want to hear that y'all have to go to on the blue line podcast and listen to it <laughs> we talked about that but uh i ended up i, I found out i liked writing tickets you uh, know so i passed up a couple of detective spots uh I passed up two lieutenant spots in my career when I was a sergeant because I didn't want to leave motors. Because I actually, uh, you probably don't know, I've, I've I've been a motor cop for 20 years of my 27 years of in there. And I just, I'm an old guy in a young man's job. Remember I said, if I can do three more years and retire off a motor, I'll be happy, you know. and uh So I, I passed up. I, I mean, I kind of look back and say, I wish I would have tried this or tried that. But I don't know, I think I'm in my niche. I'm really good at writing tickets. <laughs>
1: It, it, it's funny you bring up mortuary science, so I got a couple of funny morgue stories. One is in the police academy, they take a couple of classes. So a police academy class is anywhere between 500 and 2,500. People? Like, we hire a bulk.
0: My God. Yeah. My police yeah. academy class my, was like 60 my people. My <laughs>
1: class was considered mid-size at 1,200. Jesus. So... They, they were taking us, like, 60 at a time and taking us down to Bellevue Hospital where there's the morgue, and you know, I was like, I'm I'm figuring what I saw on Quincy or on a television show. We go into the basement of Bellevue Hospital, and it looked like a fucking Jiffy Lube. Like, you had like, eight or ten slabs going, right? And I mean, in New York, you get people that are victims of homicides, you've got people with suspicious deaths, you've got homeless people that drop dead in the street, and it's an assembly line, man. Like, you got these guys with these it's like the thing that these guys are using nowadays like you would see in midas muffler to cut the it's like a pipe cutter or the thing that these guys are using to cut uh, take your catalytic converter out of your car it's like a wizard tool they're soaring the back of people's heads, and then they're pulling their skulls over their face. Then they're pulling their brain out of their head, and between each slab, they had produce scales. Remember when you were a kid, your mother would weigh like a head of lettuce? Yep. They're putting someone's brain, someone's kidney in there, weighing it. There's another guy standing there writing this shit down. I'm like, what the fuck is this? There was a pregnant woman that had overdosed. They cut her right open, pulled the baby out, and weighed it in a scale. I'm like, holy shit. So yeah. then... There was this there was a guy that was duct taped and shot like 15 fucking times. And there was a detective with the medical examiner and the medical examiner's, you know, removing the bullets and stuff. And the detective turns to the medical examiner. And he goes, what do you think? And he goes, suspicious suicide. And everybody <laughs> started laughing. Right. So before we went in there, they gave us that Vicks rub that your mom would put on your chest when you were a kid. Yeah, right. Under your nose. Underneath <laughs> your nose. And that would mask the smell of death. And an old timer taught me a trick. If you're in a DOA's residence and it's like, you know, it's obvious that they died of natural causes. I mean, obviously, you don't want to start messing up a crime scene. But once it's determined that it's a natural death, what he taught me was you go looking into the kitchen and look for coffee. And you take the coffee grinds, you put it in a pot and you burn that pot on the stove. And that smell of coffee grinds will mask the smell of death.
0: Yeah, people are. uh some of the, we've, I've had some really uh, rotten bodies in my my time in both doing mortuary stuff and uh, being in law enforcement. You know, you get called for a welfare check because somebody ain't heard from their mom in, in a month. I'm like, we ain't heard from mom. It's like you took for months ago. Uh, you roll up, and it's like before you even get to the front door, you can smell it, you know. And mm-hmm. it's like you, once you smell a, a – and then if anybody don't know smelling a dead animal – isn't nothing like smelling a decaying, rotting human corpse. I've actually had to throw uniforms away because you couldn't get the smell out of it. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's that's like dope. it's bad and uh, or it's horrible. I took one of our well, the guy that's a lieutenant over uh, where I used to work at with Motors now uh, used to work for me. I took him to his first autopsy when they started cutting that top of that skull off. I got him on video. He looked like he was just. Because the oh, guy, it
1: doesn't. It, it doesn't do anything Hollywood could do no, justice.
0: No. Because the one of the corner guys like, oh, if y'all want to go in my office over here, y'all can just watch it on video. And he looked. I said, uh-uh. I said, you gotta stand right here and watch it in person. <laughs> well, I'll,
1: I'll tell right you. Here. I'll tell you a wild story about death from one of my books. So in New York, when someone drops dead in a house or a residence, you call for the paramedics. Paramedics come. And they kind of declare you dead. They kind of pronounce you dead, right? The police have to stay there until the medical examiner gets there and rules its suspicious death. Or, yeah, the family can release the body to the cemetery. But that could take hours. Like, that could take 12 hours by the time the medical examiner gets there because there's so many people that die in the city. And there's only one medical examiner per borough. So wow. so one time there was this lazy cop. He's, he's got a foot posted over by the housing projects call comes up on the 15th floor he goes up there super the building knows this old gentleman he knocked on the door the old gentleman doesn't answer the door the super opens the apartment door the old man dies in his bed and he's only been dead a couple hours it's not a bad
0: oh, yeah one. he's only stinks.
1: no not really so what happens is the paramedics show up and um they tell the cop yeah he's dead you're gonna have to wait for the medical examiner so this cop was a really lazy guy it was a Friday night. He wanted to go out. He didn't want to get stuck into the midnight to guarding his DOA until the midnight ship comes. He goes, well, can't you take the body? And they said, no, we don't do that unless he dies in public view. They leave. Well, about the next thing you know, about 20 minutes later, the cop gets on the radio and he calls over a cardiac. Well, the two the same two EMTs, they were in the, they, the, the, the he was expecting to get two other EMTs. The same two EMTs come running up the stairs, right? They got all their equipment. They get into the hallway. The old man, the dead guy is now in the hallway and they go, what the fuck is this? And now the cop doesn't know what to say. He's like, uh, uh, he goes, you're not going to believe this. He goes, after you left, a couple of minutes later, the guy jumped up and said, oh, fuck. He ran through the apartment, ran into the hallway and died again. And they go, get the fuck out of here. He's already got rigor mortis. So what happens is they start pitching a bitch. The sergeant shows up. The cop is trying to plead his case. And they're like, listen, that fucking guy was dead in the bed a half hour ago. He didn't even get up and run into the hallway and die. Look at the way he's, look at the way the body's positioned. He dragged him out of here. So. What wound up happening was the cop got jammed up. He lost thirty vacation days. They put him on a year probation, and then we got stuck working with him. He wasn't very well liked. But the thing is, like if that would have happened nowadays, forget it. He would have lost his job. Probably would have gotten arrested. I mean, this is the early nineties, and that's a story from my book, <laughs> NYPD Through the Looking Glass.
0: I just get, he drugged the body. Up. It's like sure, I got a date coming. <laughs> I got a. Uh... I was on a death call one time. Natural causes. And I guess it's like y'all's medical examiner, but I was, you know, it was a corner. And this was on. Wait. They're way quicker now. Back in the day, we had one corner, and this dude would like take forever to get there. My time, I was sitting in this house. This old lady had died in her chair watching TV. Well, when they got there, I was sitting in the other chair next to her with my feet up watching tv yeah i was was, i'd been there for like five hours i'm like this was before you know we didn't have laptops and like cell phones and stuff like that so they walked in and said what are you doing i was like i don't know watching whatever was on tv with the dead lady sitting next to me in the other chair
1: Many, many times that's happened to me where yeah, it's it's the weirdest thing. And then the medical examiner shows up. I had a medical examiner show up one time it was a bad DOA. He's eating a slice of pizza with a cigarette hanging out of his mouth. <laughs> you know I mean? yeah. He's he's walking into an apartment, he was like I would I I wouldn't be able to eat, but he didn't give a fuck. He just kinda walked in, yeah, he's dead, all right.
0: <laughs> yeah, they we yeah, I've watched him uh, do autopsies, you know, and one guy'll be sitting over there eating a sandwich while they're doing <laughs>
1: Doesn't phase them
0: in the slightest. Oh no, well, like I said, I used to embalm people, so I, I, I can I can deal with that part of it. <laughs> Do you have any uh, I got a co host, uh, his nickname's Freebird, uh, and he, he was never full time but he was like a unpaid reserve for like twenty years. This dude put Gosh. a lot of hours for he, he, he served for he, he was public servant for free for a very, very long time You know, but you know what he never got was any naked calls with naked people. No naked females, no naked males. He's never. I know you got to have naked people story.
1: I got a good one for you. So in the opening of my book, the NYPD's Flying Circus, Cops, Crime and Chaos, it's a Friday night. My partner and I get called out to this short stay motel where, you know, they charge by the hour. Sheets are extra. People that are having affairs go and meet up. And it comes over as a lot of no, a noise complaint. So my partner and I go up to the door, you know. I knock, And just before I knock on the door of my nightstick, I hear a woman's voice scream, be a man and put it in my ass. And me and my partner fucking start laughing. Like I dropped to my knees. I couldn't stop laughing. And I'm saying to myself, my partner goes, come on, let's get the fuck out of here. I go, how do you know someone's not getting raped in there? <laughs> well, something like in fucking Pulp Fiction, there could be a guy locked in a gimp box or something. I says, we got to fucking I, I got to see what's in there. So I take the nightstick and I start hitting the motel door. And I hear the woman's voice go, I told you you're making too much fucking noise, right? So I hear Russell, I go, come on, police open up, right? Door opens up, there's this little old man, he's about 80 years old, no shirt on, boxer shorts, his testicles are hanging past his fucking boxer shorts, right? And I go, Pop, is everything okay? And he goes, yeah, yeah. I says, listen, I hate to bother you. I says, but I gotta come in. I gotta see if everything's all right. He goes, okay. 80-year-old man. He opens the door there's an old lady, granny, is laying in the bed with the comforter up to her nose, right? And I says, I just want to look around quick. I go into the bed. Ba- I just want to make sure it's just them. I don't give a fuck what they're doing. I just want to make sure there's no one else in there fucking with them, right? <laughs> so I'm like, okay, no problem. Carry on. He goes, everything's okay? He goes, yeah. My partner's a smart ass. As we're leaving, he goes to the old lady, he goes, did he put it in your ass? And she turns around and she goes, would you like to know? And we left. <laughs> <laughs>
0: The old kinky old people <laughs> might have been balls. Might have gotten her ass if they were hanging down that low shit. I'll never forget that as long as I live. <laughs> them old no tell motels. I think every place has got those places.
1: Oh, New York's got a shitload of them. We used to get stolen cars out of there. We'd run plates in there all the time.
0: Oh, where's the stolen cars? We get them been sunk in the bayou or mississippi river or something like that they'll drive them off a the river after they finish playing with them or whatever it's, it's ridiculous we my sergeant they they sent us a tow truck driver to uh, get one out to Bayou the other day and he said a tow truck driver didn't know how to swim next thing i know uh my sergeant's uh kind of add and know. He done. He done stripped down to his skivvies and he jumped off in the damn Bayou and went and hooked it up himself because he's tired of waiting. So <laughs> he just went freaking swimming. I'm like, okay, I'm glad you live close <laughs> so you can go home and dry off now.
1: There was a cop we worked with. He chased this kid. Kid crashed the car. Kid jumped out of the car and jumped into the Bronx River, which is like. That's instant hepatitis. cop took off his gun belt and jumped in after him. We called him fucking, he he got the name Aquaman. (laughs) Like, he was Aquaman for the rest of his NYPD career.
0: He's like, he's not getting away.
1: No, he he caught him, too.
0: Wow. Yeah, we'll we'll get him jumping in the water every now and then. It's much worse.
1: So so so, So you say you want funny stories, huh? Yes, sir. Okay, so the NYPD. The quickest way to get in trouble is to lose your gun, shield, or ID card. If you do that, you lose thirty vacation days. They put you on a year probation. Cops are paranoid in New York about losing this shit.
0: How do you lose your? I just know how the hell do you lose your gun? Usually,
1: (laughs) alcohol is involved.
0: How the hell do you lose your gun?
1: It happens, man. Girls leave. Female cops always leave their gun in their bag. Their bag gets stolen. A burglary. But we worked with a guy that lived in a shitty neighborhood. He was going out one night on a Friday night and he didn't want to take his gun with him. And he put his gun. He hit his gun in the one place he thought nobody would look. His stove goes out, has a couple of cocktails, four hours, nine beers later, he comes back to his apartment, gets a little hungry, preheats the oven to four twenty five to make some frozen pizzas. Sits on the couch, turns on the television set, and after a couple of minutes, what happens? The gunpowder and the rounds start exploding. He's got to—he's got to fucking crawl out of his apartment on his hands and knees as his stove is going off. They had to send the fucking emergency service and they had to recover. Fucking blew up his gun, blew up his fucking stove, and oh by the way, lose thirty vacation days and got put on year probation.
0: <laughs> I guess it's so different. Like I so said, y'all y'all change stuff, you know. I mean we have take home units. I have a unit and a motorcycle. So I have two units, basically most all the I don't know. Maybe some of the smallest, but most departments around here, everybody has take, take home units and stuff like that. They have, you know, you have your own unit. That's your, that's, that's your, that's yours. No, you've got to be, you're
1: either a supervisor and it's No, nobody takes home a car in New York. Um, You've got to be in a specialized unit and usually a supervisor, and it's called a category one car, and they'll let you take that home. But those are far and few. But they don't trust us with shit.
0: <laughs> yeah, I was like, it's like so I have my, my, my police motorcycle. I have uh my police, my unit that I'm assigned that, you know, it's like, same with the other department I was with, I had both, and uh, I said our, our, our bailiffs have take home units.
1: Yeah, they don't trust <laughs> us with shit. If they, if we could check our guns in, they would make us do that.
0: Well, different with different jobs. Like every time, Louisiana, we're an open carry state. You know, we're, well, you in Florida, you all know that from, you know, the whole lot easier to tote a gun around in these southern states than it is up there. And like uh, here in Louisiana, uh your car is considered an extension of your home yes florida too so you can have a gun anywhere you want to in your car you don't have to have a permit you don't have to have nothing it's as long as you can legally have a gun it's fine so i'll pull people up from uh some of these other states and they're like i have a permit and have a weapon i'm like all right and they look at me i'm like where is that and they're like well it's right here Just all right just leave it right there I said, you don't touch yours. I won't touch mine. I was like, <laughs> like okay. they look at me like I'm crazy or something because I guess some of the, because I watched some of these body cam videos, I guess from the big city cops, it's like gun, gun. It was, I mean, cause they saw a gun in the car and I'm like, I see guns every day in cars, you know? Yeah. In New York,
1: <laughs> no one's allowed to carry a gun really, but the police, and, and it, it's rigged. They don't want any, like to get a permit to ca- a carry permit in New York, you got to know somebody. You know, and they make you go through hell. You got to own a business, you've got to show receipts, and they will make you wait decades. Like that's why in New York, unless you're law enforcement, chances are you stop somebody with a gun in the car, it's illegal.
0: No, like let me ask you this: since you worked there, so like me being law enforcement, let's say I went to New York, which that's where I'm not going to go, but you know, we I carry a gun everywhere I go with me. So, am I illegal carrying a weapon with me if I went into the city?
1: Yes and no. So here's the thing. Um, you, you know you, you know about, uh, it's called Leosa or H.R. 218. Yes. Which means law enforcement, if you've done more than 10 years and you retire in good standing, you just qualify once a year. And that, that supersedes different cities and, and, and jurisdictions where you can carry in 50 states. But then New York got cute. Then they made it, you can only carry a gun that only has eight rounds or something. The reality is, I mean, in my time, In my time in the NYPD, if you got pulled over and you had a gun and you had your credentials, no one's gonna fuck with you. You know what I mean? But I don't know how it is now. You know what I mean? Like during my time, cops from New Jersey would come to Madison Square Garden or something. No one's gonna bother them. You know what I mean? But technically, yes. But it's a gray area for sure.
0: Yeah, I mean, I don't travel really because you know me and my wife ain't been on vacation in eight years. But uh. We have we have five Great Danes. It's kind of hard to go anywhere with five. I got an Irish Wolfhound. I love those. But I have five Great Danes, and well, you should know what it costs too much to board them and stuff like that. So we don't go anywhere. But I, I was just curious about that, you know, because I carry, I mean, I got a gun in my pocket when I'm walking my dogs in my own yard. You know? Yeah. So it's. I was just curious because I pull, like I said, I pull people over from all over the United States on the interstate. And it's like, someone's like, I have my my permit and I have a weapon in the car. I'm like, where's it at? And they're like, well, it's in here. I'm like, all right, just leave it there. And they're just kind of looking at me. I'm like, what? Dude, just don't touch it. I mean, if you're telling me you have a gun and a permit, I'm pretty sure it's not stolen or nothing like that. I don't need to pull it out and check it and all that stuff like that. I'm I'm good to go. And they just kind of like, because I see them on TV, they're like, gun, gun. They're pulling it out and they're doing something. It's like, it's a gun. (laughs) It's like, they just, I assume every car I pull over has a gun in it.
1: It, 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 Here's another thing, like in a big city, like like you watch on television, right? Like they'll stop a stolen car or something and it's driver, put your hands out the window. Driver, you know, New York, that guy could go out the window. Like just everybody's rushing up to that car and he's getting pulled out of that car. Like there's just so many cops, man. He's coming out of that car one way or the other.
0: You know, it's it's definitely different uh I said the biggest police force in the united states or the world or something the world
1: know. yeah to 35 to 40,000 members depending on the time yeah
0: now how's the uh, how was the i don't know the brotherhood there how how was that? cuz i mean there's it's impossible for you to know every cop around you Cause it's, it's a
1: it's small world believe it believe it or not you can find anybody in there I mean I I didn't have family on the job well my younger brother followed me in but before I got hired I mean my dad was a butcher but it's like you everything in the NYPD now things have changed again it's 15 years ago but when I was active it's like it, it's it's it, you it's based on your reputation. You know what I mean? If you're a scumbag, it's going to follow you. We call it the phone call. So say you fuck up or you do you screw another cop over or something and you think you're going to go to another borough or something before you even get there. Several calls are getting called over there to people. Everybody knows everybody. You know, it's like, oh, watch out for this guy. He's a real piece of shit or watch out for her. She's a scam. It's like your reputation will good or bad. Follows you everywhere. So, no, there, there definitely was a brotherhood. I call it my superpowers. Like, you're a cop in New York. You're not getting a ticket from another cop. I mean, I don't know how it goes now. And, you know, people go, oh, that's unfair. And I go, here's the deal. If your mother worked for the New York Yankees and your sister was a flight attendant, chances are you're not going to pay to see a Yankee game and you're going to fly, fly for free. So you're not going to get a ticket as a cop in the five boroughs of New York and, and the surrounding police departments. But I don't know how it is nowadays with the younger group. They're different. I, I started noticing the difference with the millennials getting hired. They were definitely different than the people that I was hired with. But no, there definitely was a brotherhood.
0: Yeah. Well, I know. Like I said, uh, I've only ever written that I know of. I've written a, a cop, another cop, a ticket one time, and he didn't identify himself until after I already had everything done, and it was at the. At a stage uh, before, you know, back in the day, I was like, oh, we just tear it up. Well, we can't do that. And everything's electronic now. and you Oh, know, not and nowadays. You can't, no, you can't do it. Reason. So it's like, I said, why didn't you tell me beforehand? Well, so I, I'm pretty sure I've fornaggled it. Told them who to talk to, you know, to, to help them out with it because I didn't write them on purpose. Now, uh, I mean, they got, of course, they got asshole cops. So people's like, oh, you cops just think you can speed. I'm like, if you work at McDonald's, you get free hamburgers, right? Or you get a discount at at right. Walmart. I mean, it, every job has their own perks, you know. So I mean, exactly. it's just kind of a, like, no, no. If he's cop <laughs> driving like a complete moron and gets in a crash, I'm going to do what I have to do. I'm not going to risk my career for it, but uh, you know. And I, I you know, I, I'm one of them. You know, people's like some of my other cop buddies are like, man, you drive it's like. I'm the type I don't drive I, I'm an 11 over guy So if I'm out Driving around Especially in my unit I'll drive 8 over Or something I'm not gonna I don't wanna I'm not gonna be that cop That drives a certain way But writes everybody else A ticket for it I just feel like A hypocrite that way Right so, No uh, you're right But yeah I mean There's perks to every job But like I said you, With this, these New millenniums out there uh, I just had a, a In service class uh in this uh this fbi guy came out he seemed nice enough but uh my opinion on fbi right now is not too high but he come out and he was he gave us this class and uh i'm sitting there i'm listening i'm like this is what they teach in the academy now well what i got out of the class is basically they teaching all the other the new cops to just rat on all the other cops <laughs> you know it's just like i was like because we had a, a very high up person there he just retired uh He's now an assistant chief but he was like uh very high in the department where I worked at and uh they he played a part from uh, that training day movie where uh, uh when they uh Denzel and all of them come in and they they uh they shot the guy and they're like all right let's get our story straight and all this stuff like that and the FBI High guys like so so what should have they what should have been done in <laughs> This guy. It's like leave the new guy outside in the perimeter where he couldn't see them. <laughs> that, that was that was his answer. It's Like we don't know him well enough yet. Should have left him outside. And I'm like, yes, yeah, not the correct answer, but he's a he's a you know thirty plus year cop. He's like should have left the new guy outside. It's like no no you know they basically no I'm not saying cover up crimes and stuff but i'm talking they're talking about you know if you see them and they're you know they they cuss at somebody you to report them and i'm like what what y'all stay away from me because i've been known to say shit that i'm not supposed to say on the street i've been suspended for it and everything else i just told a story recently uh you know writing a ticket this guy hands me his military id and i hand it back to him thank you for your service I come back with his ticket, and he's like, he's like, you ain't a professional courtesy? I said, professional courtesy for what? I said, I appreciate your your service in the military and stuff like that, but you were doing 80 and 60, and uh, this dude looked at me, and he said, you fat motherfucker. I said, excuse me? Like, I heard him, but I was giving him an opportunity to change back his statement. Yeah, <laughs> I was like, And he's like, uh, you fat motherfucker. I'm like, okay, well, he... When, when when you're not perfect Don't be Calling people names Especially when you have One of them eyeballs That looks off In the wrong direction So I don't know If you're looking at the wall Or you're looking at me Who you looking at <laughs> He called me He's like You fat motherfucker I said I can lose weight But you can't fix That fucked up looking eye You got Can you <laughs> And he's like "He just I'm like That's thought I probably shouldn't have said that But I I, I said, like, Well I didn't get called in, But I, I don't know I, I'm I'm like one I'm like, hey, I, I'm totally honest. I'm, that's one part of my reputation. He called me in and said, did you do this? I'm like, yeah, I did it. I'll take my suspension and stuff. But uh, I'd have told him. I was like, yeah, I shouldn't have said it. But he started it. He called me a fat motherfucker. He's got a fucked up eye. he got a crazy eye. Don't be calling people fat when, I mean, was he seeing me correctly? Was he seeing me correctly? <laughs> it's like, Yeah, so.
1: Well, I'll tell, you, I'll tell you a funny traffic story. Early in my career, there's, this, there's a section of Bronx called Hunts Point. It's all factories. And after the factories close, about 5 o'clock at night, it becomes pimps and hoes. That's the only thing down. Pimps, hoes, and horny guys driving around down there. So we're, we're – and cops. And we're driving around, and I see this BMW go by with a taillight out. I pull it over. It's an attorney. And he's got a, a, a prostitute in the front seat. And he's just giving me shit. I know what you I know what you think. And I go, what do I think? And he goes, You see a Mercedes in the neighborhood, you think it's okay to shake the trees? I go, Let me see a license registration. And he's just giving me shit. You know, I'm gonna make a civilian complaint on you. I said, All right, no problem. Me and my partner get back to the car. My partner goes, Is he kidding me? I said, No. I said, Not only gonna fucking not only gonna give him a ticket, I'm gonna put the fucking fear of God into him. I write him the ticket. We go back to the car and he goes, This is abuse of power. I go, No, I'm gonna show you an abuse of power. Get the fuck out of the car. So he steps out of the car and it's starting to rain. My partner takes the prostitute. He tells her to get out of the car. I says, You see what he's doing? He's writing down all her information: name, date of birth, pimp, etc. I said, You make that fucking complaint. I says, Tomorrow, I says, I'm gonna call, I'm gonna call your wife. And he goes, uh uh-uh. uh. I go, and if you're not listed in the phone book. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to find this crackhead, and I'm going to drive up to your house in Westchester County, and we're going to have a talk with your wife what you were doing down in Hunts Point. Please don't give me a ticket. He got on his fucking knees. I go, we, we understand each other? He goes, yeah. And that was the end of it. I never heard another thing.
0: <laughs> yeah, I love people. Uh, <laughs> I love when I'm dealing with. I'll pull somebody over. Like I said most of my stuff traffic stops. I'm a traffic cop. But I'll pull somebody over, be dealing with, you know, just a complete dirtbag piece of shit, and. know. Uh, First thing out of their mouth, I'm gonna call my lawyer, and I'm thinking to myself like, like you're you you're driving a two dollar car, but you, got, <laughs> you you got a fucking lawyer on fucking retainer on standby on speed dial. What what the whatever? Because I think I said sometimes I said some people do this. It's like it's like I don't know if they watch The Lion King too much or anything. And I, you everybody remembers when when uh, in The Lion King when they would say Mumfasa. And, and all yeah. the little hyenas would go, ooh, because they were scared every time somebody said one, I said, What do you think say, lawyer? And all the cops go, because because it's a lawyer. It's like, motherfucker, I was married to a lawyer, okay? I was like, you wanna see you wanna see uh two two people, alpha personalities, that will argue and don't like to lose arguments, get into a marriage argument, have them lawyer and a cop married to each other. See how that shit worked out. That's why I'm divorced. But uh, yeah, I mean <laughs> it's like okay you, I gotta, i'm got. i gonna contact my attorney i'm like okay i love the people when i pull them over i'm gonna fight i'm bringing my attorney to court i'm like okay i hope you do because even if you're most of the time your attorney's just gonna get them to plead it down and not moving which you could have done by yourself but yeah,
1: unless you've got a lot of money <laughs> unless you got a lot of money no attorney wants to take something to trial because yeah. that, that that's what he wants your money up front and get the fuck get away from you
0: well, the ticket I have not wrote them. is probably maximum like two hundred bucks to four hundred bucks maximum. If I if I write you one, it's probably around two hundred bucks. So you're gonna take two days off of work because your first day you go to court's arraignment, and I'm not gonna be there. So you plead not guilty, give you another court date, and then they're gonna subpoena me. You're gonna come with your attorney. Your attorney's gonna out here is gonna charge you a minimum of five hundred dollars to show up for this traffic ticket. That you could have paid one hundred and eighty-seven dollars for, probably, and been done with it. So now you done lost two days of work. You're paying the attorney five hundred dollars. The, the attorney's going to talk to the district attorney, and they're going to say, "Well, look, we'll just if he if he pleads guilty to a, a non-moving that won't go on his record and just pay the fine." And they're like, the attorney comes back, "Look, I'll." talked to the DA, you know, he said it'll make this deal for you if you want to just pay the fine, you know, they're going to change it to a non-moving violation, so it's not on your record or anything, it's like you didn't get the ticket, just pay the fine, you know, it's, it's a good deal, so you're like, oh, okay, I'm going to do it, you know, screw that cop, I, I got it reduced, so then you paid your attorney $500, lost two days of work, plus the ticket fee, and so even or even let's say you do decide to take it a trial in an off chance, which has only happened twice in almost thirty years, you beat me on a stand on a traffic ticket. It still costs you five hundred dollars or more because you had to take two days off work, pay your attorney to beat me on a hundred eighty-seven dollar traffic ticket. Right now,
1: it, the numbers just don't add up. It's like
0: I win regardless. I won. They don't get it, but the general public is out in this area right now. We've been having a lot of drama. We got a set of those, uh, them, them auditor people that like to run around and harass the cops with their cameras.
1: We didn't, re- you know, that th- th- it's going on now, but that wasn't going on when I was a cop.
0: Yeah, we, they, well, they got, they haven't hit where I'm working at, but where I live at, they, they are out there and they just, they out there harassing. I said, I said, health. I said, they still doing that shit. When I retire, I could have real fun. I can just, I'll follow the auditors around and video them. Videoing the cops, <laughs> I will audit the audit police auditors. I said that ought to be fun. I said, <laughs> I said, there you go. I said I'll harass the, the people harassing the cops. I said, my buddy said, I never thought about that. <laughs> so I mean, I understand they got to write the video, but this one dude that's out here, he just. Said, asshole when he's doing it the way i mean he he tries to i guess they want to be able to sue the cops that's how they make their money so they're always trying to provoke or something
1: yeah that that, that that's about right
0: so you gonna write any more books or you you done on the, the
1: no i'm part? still writing um I, i'm working on the seventh book I, I don't have a title for it yet but i mean most of my books they're just about they're, there's no beginning middle end they're just short stories of there's a, there's a topic and just stories you know related to it like moving dead bodies or cops getting in trouble and the ridiculous things guys get involved in off duty. I don't name names and I, and I and I change the dates and locations and time. I don't want to, when I started writing these police books, I didn't want to get anybody in trouble and I don't want to get anybody divorced.
0: Yeah, you know, so <laughs> dox them. I mean, if if they're even still married, because if they're doing stupid shit like that, it's a good chance they're going to get caught eventually. Oh, absolutely. So do you enjoy yourself in Florida now?
1: I, I am. Um, you know, I miss the food in New York and my friends, but that's about it. I mean, after a 20-year career, I, I needed a change. And, um, you know, now I'm, I'm enjoying myself. I'm writing these books, and then I get to meet people like yourself that are nice enough to put me on their forums, and that helps me sell my books. And, you know, it's, it's just a, it's a nice second career.
0: Yeah, and things much probably much cheaper in Florida than they are in New York.
1: Yeah, but I think we're catching up.
0: <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I've watched some stuff. Seems like rent up there is like crazy.
1: Oh, oh, I don't. Yeah, I would imagine so.
0: Because most people rent or own. It's not like they have really like. Like I have five acres and I have a house and what I'm in right now is I have a. Uh, other, I have a three-bedroom, two-bath mobile home across my yard on the other side, which I have a studio in the main uh, bedroom. I, my pop, we call it our hobby hut and most of my clubhouse stuff like that. So, I mean, you just don't have that out there, like in the city. You don't have people. Now,
1: <laughs> no, I lived in a basement apartment in my aunt's building for ten years. I mean, it's a one-bedroom apartment with a bathroom. I mean, it's different. It's definitely different living in New York.
0: Yeah, I'm saying because I mean, it takes me, you know three hours to cut my grass <laughs> it's like it's like and i see people you know so i guess so but like because everything costs more the pay scale so much higher so oh yeah i guess like when because I, I I did talk to this guy he was a garbage man this was a couple of years ago I, I ran and talked to this guy out here so i'm like how the hell did you end up out here he retired from being a garbage man in new york and he said he moved down here and i mean because, you know, our cost of living is so much lower. It don't cost as much. I mean, he's living pretty good high off the hog, retiring as a garbage man.
1: Oh, they, well, they, where they make their overtime is is when it snows. Because they put plows on those trucks and then the salt trucks. And those guys are working around the clock for days to make sure that the city doesn't bunch up. That's where they make their money on, on or parades cleaning up after like times square or the big parade stuff. No, those guys make, they, they're paid fairly well.
0: well. I think it's funny how, <laughs> well, I don't know if you've ever been to you know, like parades in Louisiana and stuff like that. And it's just totally different than what y'all, y'all call parades. What we call parades.
1: Oh yeah. You guys look it seems like you guys have a lot more fun in New York. Like, like I was telling you, I worked down at times square uh, for New Year's Eve 17 times. And, I mean, when you see on television, right, the cameras from above, and it looks like everybody is nicely in those pens, it, people are like cattle. They're trapped in those fucking pens. There's 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 two pens per block, and there's thousands of people in them. And you're in the theater district in New York, and on New Year's Eve, the restaurants are not letting you use their bathrooms. I mean, unless you got reservations, you're not using a bathroom in there. So people are pissing on each other, shitting on each other, throwing up in the crowd, changing tampons on the crowd. I've seen so much shit. I mean, it's disgusting, foul, repugnant shit. And then what happens is everybody's drunk and lick it up. The ball drops. And then all the hood rats from the Bronx and Brooklyn and upper Manhattan, they come down. They're sober as a judge. And it's like watching the Discovery Channel with the hyenas. They're sizing people up. Who's got what phone? Who's got an iPhone? Who's got this? And they know you got to get on the train. They know people are walking off in different directions, and they just follow them. They just follow them off, and the next thing you know, people are running up to you 10 minutes after the ball dropped. I got hit in the head. My phone's gone. It's like, what do you look like? And they're all drunk. They can't tell you who hit them. So it's – That goes on every fucking year down there. For your listeners, don't go down to Times Square on New Year's Eve. You're better off going to Spain and running with the fucking bulls. It's 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 just it's expensive. You're gonna get shit all over you and possibly robbed.
0: That's why I tell people I'm like everybody's, You know, I got friends like, oh, I want to go to New Orleans for Mardi Gras. I'm like, no, you don't. You don't. You do not want to be inside the city, especially around Bourbon Street and stuff like. Because Bourbon Street during Mardi Gras season. It's basically like that. The, the street is so, so you you you're like herded down the down the street in big herds, and everybody's so pressed together. It's like you tell people pickpockets. The pickpockets are crazy, and and you know you don't know what's going to happen to you. And uh, it's it, yeah, it's like it's kind of like what you said, but it's like no, I was talking about the parade stuff. It's like uh, y'all just kind of like y'all got the big fancy balloons and all that stuff like that, and uh, y'all just kind of stand there and like understand like look at the stuff and go Ooh, oh that's pretty we have floats come by with people on it that are throwing shit at you <laughs> you know and people are like going crazy because they want the shit that they're throwing like people are like what well, no give me the beats and you know i mean it's just it's mass chaos but they're throwing shit at you and all that stuff like that it's well thank the thanksgiving day parade is a nice one that's an easy
1: one for the cops you get there first thing in the morning you're done by 11 o'clock noon um yeah it's it's early now, nothing really bad happens during that. What's fun is, it's a pain in the ass, but it's fun. One year, I got assigned to being in Central Park where they blow up the balloons at night. So they got all these generators in Central Park. It's all lit up, and they're blowing the balloons up at, like, between, like, 4 and 5 a.m., getting ready for the 7 o'clock start, and you're watching all the balloons come to life in the park. That was actually kind of cool.
0: Yeah. do they put helium in, or is it just hot air, or? to make them float. Uh, I,
1: you know what it's so long ago i don't remember
0: i know some of them say they're just massive they're the size of buildings and stuff
1: oh yeah but then one of them one of them came down and hit a lamppost and hurt somebody so then they now they're smaller
0: Oh, they don't let them be It's big But I, I, I my, my wife really likes watching like the thanksgiving day parades and stuff like that <clears throat> i'm like okay you have fun with that um we deal with a lot of parades. We actually have a, where I work at. They have a. We actually have a, a guy that owns a float company. He like builds these fancy ass floats and then he rents them out and stuff like that. And uh, Mardi Gras season's very busy for me because he hires us to because he by his insurance stuff he hires us to escort him to all these different places. And uh like one parade we go to at a college area, and uh, it's it takes us like. Three hours just to get there because we'll take like thirty or forty floats. It's like six of us, seven of us on motorcycle just to get. Like last year, the uh, we had so many floats. The from the front of the package to the back of the package was exactly right at a mile long. of floats that we had, we were escorting these distances and stuff like that. So, and know sometimes I try to go live with it because people watch me escorting live. A lot of people in New York don't own own vehicles either, do they?
1: Depends. I mean, I owned a car. It depends on where you live. I'm, um, parking's tight. Depending, you know, if you live in Manhattan, you shouldn't own a car, but people do. And what sucks about New York is they have a thing called alternate side of the street parking, and it's a scam. So, uh, you know, say two sides of the street. On Mondays and Wednesdays is alternate side of the street on this side, and Tuesdays and Fridays is this side of the street. you got to get up between 7 and 9 a.m. and move your car and double park it so the street sweeper can come by and blow shit all over the place and doesn't clean anything. And if you leave your car there, you get banged with a $75 parking ticket. Wow. Then you get one or two many parking tickets. They tow your fucking car and they take it off to the west side, and that's an all-day experience to get your car out of there. If they fuck it up, towing it, it just there's a lot. You know, New York's got a lot of really nice things about it, but they kick in the ass every opportunity they can.
0: Yeah, it's like uh, my sister's been there a few times and stuff. I was watching the news recently, and uh, I'm not going to get. I I don't get political on this one. I got another one I get political on, but uh, they were talking about uh, the administration talking about. Well, we're going to work on uh, you know public transportation a whole lot. I'm like. Do they not realize that not everybody lives in the city? I grew up in in the country, you know. It's not as bad as it used to be. But I grew up raising cattle and chickens and hogs and stuff like that. And, you know, I was a, you know, I got my first shotgun when I was eight. You know, I was eight years old and got my first shotgun. We were out in the woods, you know, shooting squirrels and shit. And, you know, when I was 10 years old, I mean, it wasn't nothing for me and my buddies to go in the woods with guns by ourselves and kill stuff. My mom was like my, our, our, get, I was like, my mom was like, where are you going with your gun? Like, go, we're going to the woods. We're going to go see if we can shoot some squirrel up alright you All right. Y'all remember, y'all don't shoot at each other with them things. You can hurt each other. I mean, that's, that was the top. I mean, that's what we got. It's like, don't forget, you can't shoot at each other with them guns. You'll hurt each other. You know, not that we're going to kill each other. We have shotguns, but we're going to hurt each other. But, uh, so that's how I grew up. I've never had public transportation anywhere I've ever lived. You know, uh, Still, like,
1: yeah, as a kid, I took, yeah, I used to take a bus across the Bronx every day to go to high school.
0: It's like, uh, I mean, still out here where I live at now. I mean, if you've got a kid, I mean, you go walk to the end of your driveway, and the school bus is going to stop and pick you up in front of your own house. No, we didn't have that. (laughs) It's still like that. They will stop and pick you up in front of your own house because. I mean, like where I live, the nearest store is still a mile and a half away. It's not like you're just going to walk down around the block and pick it up. And uh, we don't have public transportation out where I live. Unless you consider Uber that, and that's expensive. So... But uh, tell some more people about your book. We might we're a little over an hour. We're going to close it yeah, out. Yeah,
1: sure. Um, if anyone's looking to, to purchase my books, just go on Amazon. Go to the go to the Amazon book section and just type in my name, Vic V I C F E R R A R I. Um, they make great ten dollars ten dollar Christmas gifts, um, and, or two ninety nine ebook download. And they're like I said, they're all filled with funny stories from my NYPD career.
0: I'm going to put a link in the episode on. Uh, information on there also thank you i appreciate listen, that. i'll put a link in it uh i'm gonna keep you up there i might have you come back i've enjoyed it like i said because like i said oh anytime the new york stuff I, I think my listeners would like it too uh no i'd love to because like i said it's intriguing to old country people like me to never i've been to canada uh in some a few states but uh i was in california when i was in uh service for a little while but uh other than that i don't i don't really travel so my sister's the traveler (laughs) but uh i would definitely have to get you on to hold on a second don't don't hang up Uh look everybody i appreciate y'all listening y'all go check them out uh buy yourself a book or something if you want some funny stories like that and like i said it makes good christmas gifts remember to go like and subscribe Remember to always watch your back, watch your partner's back. Remember to smile because the Iceman could always be behind you.